I'm Sandy Laycox, Editor-in-Chief of Leaders Edge, and I'm so pleased to share this exchange between the Council's Senior Vice President of Government Affairs, Joel Wood, and well-known Democratic political consultant, David Axelrod. In a conversation that is heartwarming, educational, and wide-ranging, the two discuss the future of the ACA, prescription drugs, pollsters, and whether Mitch McConnell and Joe Biden can actually work together. I hope you enjoy it. I am Joel Wood, uh, Senior Vice President of Government Affairs at the Council, and I am so pleased to be joined again uh, today with uh, David Axelrod. Everybody knows uh, David has an incredible political resume, obviously. Known most for being the senior strategist for both of the Obama campaigns and senior advisor to uh, President Obama. We were blessed to have during our ILF uh, meeting uh, both David and Mike Murphy. They host the wonderful podcast I highly recommend, Hacks on Tap. Uh, and uh, uh, we're having an opportunity to continue this dialogue. I'll, I hope we'll have other uh, opportunities. I want to mostly focus on with the incoming administration. Um, obviously, our association cares an, an awful lot about the employer-sponsored group health insurance marketplace. Given the reality that, you know, everything comes down to Georgia. There's a great prospect uh, in the alternative that President Biden will be the first Democratic president without a Democratic Senate since Grover Cleveland. Uh, in a divided government, knowing what, uh, especially looking back on those opening months and the sequencing after President Obama was elected, knowing the COVID relief is going to be the first thing that's out, out the door, and knowing that there should be room for bipartisan cooperation on some things like immigration reform or infrastructure. I just wonder what your thoughts are in terms of sequencing, and do you think the closeness in the Senate now dooms the prospect of a robust public option? So that's a big question. I'll yeah, whatever, although the, pay, the payoff is probably the most significant part of it for your members. Um, look, I think that um, it's an uphill battle for Democrats in Georgia, highly likely in my mind that Republicans will control uh, the Senate. It, is, uh, it seems to me unlikely uh, that the public option will move forward. I do think it's possible that uh, a President Biden or, the, or, or that President Biden will try and move forward with, and this is not based on inside knowledge, but just speculation, uh, would try and move forward on some sort of uh, sort of combined COVID and healthcare uh, bill that would um, correct some of the things that uh, the Trump administration has done uh, relative to subsidies and other uh, elements of the program that need strengthening uh, to restore it to where it was when he uh, came to office. But the idea that the public option would be in there, it seems pretty remote to me at this point. I, I don't see uh, him getting that. If there were a Democratic Senate, I think the prospects would be better. But even if it's a, if it's a tied Senate, it, that's not a slam dunk uh, issue uh, in my mind. I do think, though, that he will try and move forward on elements of strengthening the Affordable Care Act. And my guess is he can find some uh, a Republican voter to uh, to do that. And that includes, by the way, um, uh, reinstating the 100% match on Medicaid for some, for the states that had, haven't yet enrolled in the, in that aspect of the Affordable Care Act. That was discussed by, uh, uh, some legislation was moved on that by, by, uh, Senator Alexander, uh, who's now retiring on the Republican side. So there's some, 
there's a there, there are possibilities there uh, for that, but not. I, I think the I think if your concern is the public option, it's it's probably pretty unlikely right now. How about uh, administrative actions? I mean, uh, incoming uh, the president-elect is not uh, by his nature someone who wants to to push the envelope on executive action, but there's a lot that he can do, a lot within the a lot of creative things that you can do within the framework of the ACA itself. Uh, do you yes. see a lot of that? Um, you know, I think there will there will be administrative actions around the ACA, um, and I, you know, and one of the things that I anticipate is that, you know, uh, that these these low cost plans that are sub ACA standards that the president has pushed, what I think a lot of Democrats would call junk plans. Uh, uh, I hope I'm not stepping on anyone's toes here. But uh, but those plans, I think, are likely not to get, um, you know, the grandfathering of those are, is not going to uh, continue. I think you'll see attempts to um, uh, expand enrollment dates and, you know, they'll need funds to, uh, to, to have robust marketing and assistance around enrollment in the ACA. Uh, but there, there, certainly there are things that they can do in administratively and that they will do administratively. On the issue of junk plans, I think the majority of our member firms would agree that, that this is disruptive to universal coverage. We do have some member firms that sell them. I, I, I think the trick on that, though, uh, as they call them, short-term limited duration insurance plans, um, exercised under the 1332 waivers by the Trump administration. But some might argue that, you know, that's the only insurance that some employers can afford. Do you put at risk, having lived through that experience, of you, if you like your insurance, you get to keep it, the, the reality that there are three million of those policies that are out there. Do you think that, that, do you think that the broader concerns about their disruption are going to prevail? You know, Joe, I'm not uh, sophisticated enough in healthcare policy uh, to um, to comment on on sort of how uh, one would deal with that, whether um, you allow these policies to phase out or whether you you know I, I don't you know I don't think they're going to um, I don't think they're going to accept more of them I don't think they're going to expand that um, and I, and ultimately that what, what they would say is that uh, you, you need to enhance the Affordable Care Act enhance subsidies uh, so as to make those policies competitive. And give people healthcare that has a minimum set of standards that actually meets their, you know, fundamental healthcare needs. So I'm, I just recall you were at the White House signing ceremony for. Was. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, did you actually? What was it? He, said, uh, Vice President Biden, said to President. Uh, it's a big effing deal. <laughs> I don't think that was the word. Uh, right. I, I can get Mike Murphy. I'm, I'm, I'm cleaning it up in deference to uh, <laughs> to your uh, to your organization, but uh, but it, it was a big deal. And um, you know, I'm uh, I can just tell you that uh, I have a child with a chronic illness uh, that almost bankrupt our family, and we had insurance. And uh, I wept the night that that law was passed. And um, maybe I said that when we were together last, but um, there are a lot of people who've wept to me who were helped by it. And, you know, I wish we could take the heat out of this and work together uh, as a country to say, how do we, in the least disruptive way, make sure that everyone can get the basic health care that they need? 
And, you know, so that was a big uh, deal. And, you know, we've taken some steps backward. I think we'll take some steps forward. I don't think they're going to be steps that are so uh, disruptive as to create huge debates. You know, the other uh, question that's come up is on on Medicare. And, you know, the vice president uh, during the campaign, the president-elect talked about uh, lowering the allowing people between 60 to 65 to buy into the Medicare system at their own uh, uh, cost. Um, Not sure that that's, you know, I'm not sure that that's going to happen for a variety of reasons. I think he's going to, I mean, it may, because it's politically popular. Uh, But I think he's going to focus on really trying to strengthen the Affordable Care Act. And um, there'll be questions swirling around Medicare because some of the steps that were taken by this administration has lowered the solvency date now to 2024 and it could be when you know they take the next look at it it could be 2023 so um you know i i think talk about even though it's a buy-in talk about that may make people very uneasy you know you mentioned uh, your personal experience of of not making a lot of money working for the chicago tribune with tribune. A child with a chronic uh, disorder. Um, personally, in the other room is my son who has Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Oh, one specific, and it's very expensive, um, and we're blessed to have good, uh, good coverage. Uh, but I will say one thing that I'm hopeful that some, any of your thoughts on this, uh, the, the drug companies are extremely powerful in Washington. Yeah. Uh, the only drug that is uh, approved by the FDA specifically for my son's condition is this one, and it's $88,000 a year. That's $241 per pill, and yeah. it costs them about a buck to make it. Specialty drugs, prescription drug transparency, pharmacy benefit managers. It sure seems like this is an area where Republicans and Democrats could agree, and frankly, Trump has tried to take on with largely not a lot of success administratively, the drug yeah. might yeah. Be, we see something emerge on this front. Uh, well, you know, he did in the, uh, toward the very end of his administration, uh, he, he's now uh, tried to move on this most favorable nation approach so that Americans will pay the same uh, drug prices that are paid overseas. I don't know whether that is a vehicle that Biden will continue. But I think this issue is one that is really, really meaningful. That I had flashbacks, Joel, when you held up that vial uh, or that bottle of pills, because that is exactly what we faced. My daughter had very complex epilepsy. She needed, uh, uh, she needed drugs that were uh, not the common drugs. Some were new on the market. And, um, and my insurance didn't cover uh, prescription drugs. And uh, that that was a large part of our challenge. Uh, a lot of Americans are going through that and having to make terrible choices. And that is something that transcends. Listen, one thing about illness it, is it's not a partisan thing. And we've learned that with the virus. Um, even if some of the reaction to the virus is, 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 uh, has become political, I think there is pressure on both sides of the aisle. And yes, they are very, very powerful. And we had to navigate that during the fight for the Affordable Care Act. But I think this thing has reached a point where there may be some action that can, that will be taken and that they'll find partners on the other side of the aisle uh, to do it. I can't tell you, I can't describe what form it will take. Um, but, um, 
you know, if Biden's looking for issues on which he can pick off partners, uh, that may be one. And it may be that this is the time when, uh, you know, now I will say on the other end of the spec, uh, of this argument, um, it'll be interesting to see how people feel about the pharmaceutical industry in the midst of these vaccines and so on. And it, has that changed people's orientation? Because the re reality is that these are life-saving drugs, as you know. Um, the question is, what is, a, what is reasonable? Uh, and, you know, because they are life-saving drugs, to deprive people of them because they are so expensive is essentially to deprive them of the chance to live. Uh, and that's what makes this different. This is not a normal commodity. And so we have to figure that out and, you know, figure out what the cost of research and development actually is and, you know, what, where the government, what the government's proper role is in all of that. Uh, I think it's a, uh, it is a, it is, a, you know, the, the biggest issue people talk about on healthcare, and you know this, you guys do reams of research, I'm sure, is cost. And this is a big element of the cost. Um, so, and, and by the way, it's a big element of the cost for the government as well. One of the things that we thought that we found most attractive in the ACA was that it called for the HHS to create a national benchmark plan that would be sort of basic uh, elements of care, um, not, uh, you know, sort of a copper level plan, uh, but it, HHS never fully implemented that. Uh, might that be something that could, with the theory being that that would help drive down some of the costs on the exchanges. Yeah. Might that be something that could be revisited in the Biden administration because the administrative ability already exists? Yes, I think so. And um, look, I, I, if you look back to 2017, there was a lot of optimism. It seemed like the markets had settled. Um, the, they, they had they had figured out what the appropriate price levels were. You didn't see these huge uh, jumps in, in price uh, uh, coming. And, um, but this has been, but the, you know, the president, President Trump, uh, for whatever reason has decided that, decided that the Affordable Care Act needed to be destroyed, tried to do it legislatively through the courts and tried to burrow under it administratively. And that has put insurers and patients in a very bad position. I think you're going to see st more stability now and an effort to shore the whole thing up uh, in ways that reduce cost uh, and, uh, and stabilize the markets. Much has been made about the reality that uh, Leader McConnell and, and President-elect Biden served together for decades. They're not chummy, but they're friendly uh, and that they're both institutionalists. Yet we have, a, obviously, a deeply divided country right now. How do you characterize what you think that kind of, what, if any, working relationship there will be uh, if, as you predict, uh, Senate Republicans continue to prevail? Uh, well, I will tell you, when we were in the White House, in the two years that I was there, which was the first two years, the eventful, the most eventful two years in some ways, um, uh, it was the vice president who went to the Hill and was able to talk to McConnell. Part of it was that McConnell and Obama didn't have very good relationship. Uh, and uh, Biden knew how to, how to talk sort of politician to politician with McConnell. And, you know, we, we, had, we did a series of really important things after the midterm elections in the lame duck session in 2010, we were able to accomplish a lot. And a lot of it had to do with Biden's uh, 
uh, negotiations with McConnell, but McConnell had an impetus then. The, uh, uh, you know, we had a new, uh, whole new group of legislators coming into the House in the new Republican majority who were uh, uh, averse to compromise. He knew they were coming. And so he had an impetus to try and get a lot of things done that he wanted and give the administration some of the things that they wanted to clear the decks before the new uh, group came in. We'll see what he does here. Um, you know, I am, uh, you know, one of the reasons that we didn't have much luck with McConnell generally was because he didn't see it in his interest for us to uh, be successful on a bipartisan basis. He thought that would help cement uh, our majorities, help uh, uh, reelect the president. Uh, and he fundamentally, you know, he sees his first mission as maintaining his majority. Um, so, you know, we'll see whether he feels like cooperating with Biden uh, is, is politically helpful to him and at what level he needs to cooperate uh, to do that. I think the idea that he would uh, green light some significant rollback of the uh, Trump tax cuts, unlikely. But are there things, you know, for example, is there an infrastructure program that he'd be willing to work on? Or will he, you know, allow some of these healthcare things to go forward? I mentioned reconciliation earlier, though, Joel, because you, all you need is 50 votes for that. And they may be able to find it. One of the great ironies is uh, one of the people who they may go to is Susan Collins, uh, who Democrats fought so hard to defeat, but who has taken a very, uh, you know, generally a, 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 a progressive uh, relative relatively progressive viewpoint on the Affordable Care Act, uh, you know, now that it's been implemented. And, but there are others as well they may go to. So that relationship's gonna, that relationship's gonna be very important. The ability to put majorities together in other, uh, on, on a thing like reconciliation will be important as well in case that route doesn't work. Gosh, I wish that I, I, I had another hour to explore these issues with you. Uh, two quick final questions. Yeah. Uh, should we ever believe pollsters again? <laughs> you know, I'm just putting together a, a symposium at my Institute of Politics at the University of Chicago to just do a deep dive on what exactly happened. Um, I think clearly uh, there was something uh, missed, and it was largely again, for the second straight election, an inability to properly gauge uh, what was going on with white non-college voters. Uh, and um, I heard an interesting theory the other day, uh, which was that um, when we were polling, uh, when there was polling during the, uh, during the pandemic, uh, a lot of those work, a lot of those people were out working uh, because they have to, and a lot of the uh, a lot of white college uh, educated voters and other college educated voters were home and, and answering phones. Um, that may have skewed some of it. Uh, I don't know, but I I, I think that uh, there's still a place for polling. Um, I think polling on issues, or it's probably easier than polling on politics, particularly when Donald Trump is on the ballot. But um, I think we have to you know look at those things. I will say um, that the uh, Trump pollsters uh, predicted uh, to some degree what would happen. I made, I, I, to my, much to my embarrassment, I was vociferous in um, rejecting the Iowa poll and Seltzer as the 
esteemed poster for the uh, Des Moines Register, and she has a remarkable record. She came out with a poll a few days before the election saying that Trump was winning by eight points. No other poll had it that way. And there were things about that poll that looked wrong to me. And I was very vociferous about it. She turned out to be right on the money. And she used different methodology. And I'm eager to talk to her uh, about it. So I don't think we should give up on polling. But certainly we should approach it with jaundice. And I think pollsters themselves have to, they have to engage in some real introspection about what went wrong and why. Indeed. And final question. Um, how's your daughter? That's such a nice question. She is doing about as well as one can. You know, she lives in a community for people with uh, uh, intellectual disabilities, differences, uh, and she loves it in Chicago. Uh, but um, she, it also means that she either can come home and stay with us until the virus is over, or she stays there, but they don't want her going back and forth. Uh, and she loves her friends, so she doesn't want to leave her friends. And what it means is we, we saw her through a window the other day, uh, and it's very, very painful. Um, but it's no more painful than what so many people across the country are going through. And thank God she's healthy. And I hope the same is true of your son and your family, Joel. Um, well, it's been the silver lining for us to, to spend so much time with him. He, though he displays some disturbing Tea Party-like um, <laughs> but. Uh, We'll save that for another day. David, thank you. Uh, God bless thank you and your family. Stay thank well. You. For you and in, 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 in the holidays and beyond. Thank you. Great to be with you. That was the council's Joel Wood and political consultant, David Axelrod. Join us next week for a follow-on conversation with Axelrod's podcast co-host and longtime Republican political consultant, Mike Murphy.